0: know me for any length of time you will know that I am an absolute sucker for a happy ending in a film. Guy gets the girl, long-lost relative found, friends reunited and I'm an absolute weeping mess. And One of the worst films for me as a kid for this was the film Annie. I know it's a bit of a a guilty admission but it's the truth. The film Annie. You know, I watched it quite a lot with my brother and sister as a kid and uh, every time as the end approached I remember starting to get choked up inside and begin to to well up in my eyes whilst desperately not wanting to show the emotion to my elder brother and sister because these were the two that used to mock me the most growing up. I remember one time I said I love Lemon Calippo and they proceeded to chant for the next half an hour. We're going to tell the whole school that you love lemon and so I don't want to show them emotion to the film Annie here at all. Uh, but Annie, if you don't know, is a great story. It follows the early life of a, a really trouble-causing, but always hopeful orphan who, who grows up with nothing whatsoever in a horrible care home uh, and really doesn't know any parental love in her life. But throughout the course of the film, she meets the rich and powerful Mr. Warbucks, who takes her into his home. And after a number of twists and turns and some songs and dances as well, in the moment that that really gets me, he comes to love this child as his own. And... uh, In the closing scenes of the film, where he has clearly got as much joy for her as he has love for him, he adopts her. And the two dance and they sing for joy together, Annie in her beautiful new red dress that her daddy has bought her. And at the end of this film, Annie's life is changed forever. She is suddenly at the center of a new, incredible household. She has a father who loves her completely. She has protection and love that she's never known before. And she has a family. Cue my tears of joy as I see this happen. There are many ways. That the Bible explains and tries to teach us the the depths of what Jesus did for us individually at the cross. But one of my absolute favourite explanations is that at the cross, what God was doing was he was signing the adoption papers for us. Through Jesus, the Father in heaven was saying, I cannot handle there being orphans in this world who do not know my fatherly love and the joy of being part of my household in the world. When Jesus came, he was entering into the orphanage and the poverty and the separation from his fatherly love in our lives. He was paying all the legal paperwork fees, removing all the barriers and bringing us into the care and the protection of his loving presence and his household. Through Jesus, God was being to us what Mr Warbucks was being to Annie. John 1, 12 to 13 is one of the ways we see the Bible frame Jesus' work in this way. It says this, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And Paul in the book Romans describes this for us about our identity as a, as a result of Jesus's work in bringing us into relationship with God and his spirit. He says this in eight fourteen to 17. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves, that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought you about your adoption to sonship. when we accept his work of forgiveness through taking our wrongdoing on ourselves, when we allow him to exchange his life for ours, when we allow him to pay the extortionate wages of sin and death and free us from Miss Anakin's slavery that holds us in poverty, when we receive his new robes of the Spirit and his fatherly love through the Spirit of God, the Bible us, clearly wants us to understand that all together this equals a full, wholesale, irreversible adoption process by God for us. And the muckier the orphan, the more he wants to give us that gift, the more his heart cries out for us. You know, for God, this is not an academic idea for us to just understand up here. For him, it is an absolute fact that individually we are now his children and he is now our adopted father. 2 Corinthians 6.18 says it bluntly. And I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You know, in the same way, I don't just want my children to theoretically know that I am their father. Uh, But I daily want them to experience me as their father, ensuring their safety, well-being, helping them grow up well, meeting their needs, taking them on adventures, knowing my love and voice daily. He holds us individually, by name, in the same regard. There's so many of... Uh, the Bible, many of aspects of the Bible's teaching and Jesus's teaching in particular, show us that God wants us to grasp this about him. It, just take for a moment Jesus's teaching on prayer. What does the most famous prayer he teaches us start with? Our Father who art in heaven. Jesus is teaching us how to, he wants us to communicate with him and understand him. And the word Father is at the center of this. Matthew 7, 11 says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your perfect father in heaven know how to give good gifts to those who ask? He wants us to relate to him as a father. Father is the essential name he wants us to understand him by. And across the globe in his eyes every christian in the universal church who has ever become a christian and come into his church becomes his beloved child we all like annie have been taken from rags to a place of enormous favor this is a key thing we need to understand about salvation but today's about the church isn't it so why start a preach on the church with going back to adoption and what God's done to us. Well, the truth is that understanding adoption is not only essential for us to understand our personal identity before him, but it's also essential to understanding how he sees, how God sees the local church and how he wants us to understand it. It is foundational to this you see when we understand that we adopted we we are adopted we can start to understand that the local church to god is not just a cold old-fashioned building or a place where strangers come to individually have their, their god cups filled up and go away happy to him it's never been an institution It's never been a place which is about special robes or special names or statuses, or a place to chase after titles. Instead, the church is the place he gathers all his adopted children together. He gathers his adopted family together. You know, the key biblical name of the church that we're touching on today in this series captures this perfectly. Here we are asked to understand the church as being the household of God. The household of God. There are numerous places throughout the New Testament where this is used, but just two helpful ones to draw out today would be from Ephesians, where Paul uses it to explain the church in, to the church in Ephesus what they are and how they should view themselves. Ephesians 2.19 says this, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household you should understand that you are members of his household now and in the letter to 1 Timothy this is the name that he asks Timothy to hold dear to himself as he, as he teaches him to look after the church on his behalf in his absence 1 Timothy 3:15 if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. You know, one thing I really love about this name is it's like the, the Ron seal of names given to the church. you remember that advert? It does exactly what it says on the tin. It needs no Greek cleverness to explain it, really. Household simply means household as we would understand it in these verses. Family home, location of family, dwelling of family, household of God. In God's eyes, what this tells us quite simply is that he sees the local church as his family home on earth. When the local church gathers, it's where we are adopted family together and where we experience most fully on earth, the riches of the new home and household he has brought us into. This tells us that to him, church gatherings are anticipated like parents waiting for their children to come home for Christmas from university and jobs. Do you know, I know when I came home from university, one of the most exciting things about it was going to the fridge and seeing not just pasta and cheese, which is what I lived off for years and years in university, but opening it up. And my household, which was, a, which was a great household with great parents, they had filled the fridge ready for me to come home. I just went in there, was like, ah, oh, bacon, chicken, amazing, there's a cheese board. It was so exciting to come in. My parents knew what I liked. And this name teaches that God is the same with us, when we come together, he's filled up the house with great things, a full, a fridge full of delicious food, fresh bedding in rooms made in anticipations, games dusted off and a warm embrace prepared for his children's homecoming, Enjoy joy of a full fridge. And it is in church as we gather and build community together where he anticipates we will experience the joy of family celebration the love of familial encouragement of brothers and sisters in hard times that we will experience and pass on the overwhelming love that he has for us to one another the church is his household This is what he wants us to see it as, and hold it as in our hearts as he does. Beautiful Freedom Church, you are called the household of God, his children, his family, by God's word. They're really simple things to be called, but I want to ask you today, do you see the church and church gatherings like God does in this respect? Has God's perspective of church being the family and household he is building become your perspective? Do you understand that if you came to Jesus having no family and being a genuine orphan, what God is saying to you here is that you now have a very real family because of church. The church is the place that God fulfills his ancient promise in Psalm 68, 6 to you that God sets the lonely in families. Equally, do you understand that if you came to Jesus having a bad family, an abusive and addictive family, you now have an awesome new one alongside that with a perfect father at the head with loads of new brothers and sisters to get to know who yes may get on your nerves sometimes as all relatives do but a genuine fresh new family for you to know because of the church have you grasped that if your family disowned you when you came to follow Jesus you now have, as Jesus says in Mark 10, 28, received a hundredfold in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children because of the church. And that if you have a good family, mum, dad, wife, children, this is not the only family that you now need to tend and care for or who will tend and care for you in life. For you have adopted others to look out for as well, who will look out for you in ways that your earthly family cannot, because of the church. And finally, do do you understand if your household is missing something that causes your heart to ache? Children, maybe, parents, grandparents, lack of siblings. You know, you've, you've lost that freedom of singleness cultural diversity. God in some way will be using the great gift of the wider family of the church to share what you don't have in the natural back through your broad adopted family, his church to you. Freedom Church, these are the implications of being God's family together. This is what it means Church is God's way of blessing us by meeting the needs of the lonely, the widow and the fatherless. It is the place where the missing puzzle pieces of our lives are filled in through the love of others. It is the seat of celebration and encouragement. It is a huge part of the grace that he has for those who sacrifice everything to follow him. Church is his magnificent family. Do you know, a great way of testing how far you have truly taken on God's perspective of the church as family is to consider your current response to Paul's great rebuke in general, into the church in general in he, Hebrews ten twenty five, where he slams Christian hearts that have grown cold or ambivalent towards attending local church gatherings together. In this verse, he explicitly says, Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Don't ever do it, he says here. Don't ever do it. Don't ever think that going solo is better. Don't ever think that being just part of the universal church alone will do. Don't ever think this is just about you and Jesus, solo buddies. Make sure you keep your heart for meeting together passionate and alive. Why? Well, if you read the context of this rebuke, we find out why. Let me just read Hebrews 10, 21 to 25 to you. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Having a heart sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed by pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Here Paul is saying, don't give up meeting together because in a world that is orphaned, You can't know the true and full benefits of what it is to be a part of God's household without meeting together. 21 to 23, you can't spur each other on in the guidance, under the guidance of the household high priest, ministering his grace and his hope and his love to one another. Verse 24, you can't can't show the riches of family love to one another you can't do good deeds to one another and amplify good deeds to other verse 25 you can't make each other's weak hearts courageous in the way that only families can you can't be jonathans to each other's davids if you don't gather together he's saying so don't give up on it grasp it grasp that there is power in the family that he is building and the gathering of that family church. Paul is saying he, you simply cannot know the benefits of what it is to be part of God's household if you don't gather with your family. Being part of the universal church is magnificent. It really is. Being individually known by God and adopted by him is truly wonderful and the happiest things I can testify to in my life. So, these two things, without being truly part of a community that understands it is the family of God together, you are missing out. If you do that without being a part of one of these gatherings, you're missing out on an absolute game changer. Beautiful Freedom Church, our levels of ambivalence and warmth about gathering together are an indicator of how far we have really understood that we are the household of God when we come together. If our hearts have grown cold, we've probably started to think of the church outside of the framework that God gives us as an institution, as a a weekly meeting, just teaching session as another thing in our busy schedules, rather than family with all of the encouragement and life that Paul describes here in Hebrews. So church, this is it today. God describes you as his household, the place where he gathers his family together to be loving encouragement of family to one another and to know his love. This is a truly great truth. And one that I'm praying will seed in your heart anew as I speak today. But freedom, as we start looking to gather back together in the near future, we hope. If we're going to claim this truth in a fresh new way post COVID, there are some challenges we need to overcome. Firstly, we're going to have to challenge some aspects of British culture. I usually get a bit riled when a preacher says this to me that you've got to challenge your Britishness. I'm like, no, I'm I'm English. This is my culture, this is my background. But sometimes, and I think this is one of those times, the preacher has a good point to make. What do I mean by this? Well, I've got a truly outstanding prop, I think you'll agree here. If I can get the right way round for you. This is my invisible English line. You can't see it because it's invisible, I get that. This line says things like, uh, my home is my castle. I don't get out of my seat to encourage brothers and sisters in church. I'm in my seat. I'm in my place for the day. I don't prophesy for the good of the body. That's not me, mate. That's someone else. I have my tribe. but I'm not going past that line. This line says, right, put your Sunday game face on. Don't let people past it. This line says, I'm tired at Sunday lunchtime. It's my Netflix time, just like Monday to Saturday is from 7 to 10 every night. I really don't want to do hospitality, it says. Do you know? And my invisible English cultural line has probably got longer in COVID 19, but it's been around before COVID 19, holding people at two metres distance. Does that make sense to you? And if we want to move on in the promises that God has for us about church, then what we need to do with this invisible cultural line is look at where it's blocking us building family. And we need to snap it in two and be done with it. That's the first thing we need to do. Secondly, we must start to live more deliberately making room for others in our lives. It's the counterpoint to the one I've just made. I recently read an outstanding book, which I would recommend to anyone to read by a guy called Sam Albury, called The Seven Myths of Singleness. Pete Cowcraft put me onto it. Uh, it's a brilliant, brilliant book that addresses this very issue in part of it and talks about Christians needing to live more porous lives to allow people to truly be family with you. As a single minister, Sam talks about the blessings he has had from those who live like this and what they bring to his life and how knowing families and couples who have invited him on holidays as a single Christian man, has given him the key to their house, invited him to family dinners, given him a place to work in their home, has meant where he would never have had a part in a family life, a part in raising children, a part in just relaxing peacefully in the presence of others when he needed to after a hard day. He now has it from being part of the church with them and he gives testimony over how he himself has started to live a porous life as a single person he has managed to give families help with kids he's managed to help families with teaching their children about god he's made family dinners he's helped with school runs and most of all he's been able to model something so desperately needed in our world today the vital lesson through, by through putting his um, satisfied singleness on display that, that relationships really are not the ultimate good in life. Only Jesus is and he gets to model this truth to those he lives and is with. I know the idea of living a porous life right now is, a, is hard, but what we have right now is a time of reflection opportunity with this to ask the question, what could the gifts God has brought in my life right now, in the household that I have, bring to make up what is lacking in someone else's? How do I live a more porous life to actually be an adopted brother or sister to other people? It's not just a question for families, but to every different household in the church. I hope I've communicated that. Finally, and very quickly, as I do wrap up today, we need to start approaching every Sunday like an adoption Sunday. When I gather with my family outside of COVID, there is embracing, there is laughter, there is warmth, there is hospitality. We have fun and the occasional family arguments, which we get over quickly. You know, when we gather together as family, every time we gather, we should have the same approach. Every time we meet, we need to both remember the God who has adopted us, who has robed us in something new and asked us to dance in life with him. And every time we gather together, we should seek to re-adopt one another and recognize that we are adopted brothers and sisters. Showing the same love he has shown us to one another, warmth, love, embrace, and let arguments pass quickly. I cannot wait to be back with you, my dear family. Freedom as we start to think about gathering together again. Let us lay claim afresh to what the church is supposed to be and settle for nothing less. Let us recognise it is the temple of his presence, the place of miracles. Let us recognise it is his body with him as a head leading us, where through unity he is put on display. And let us recognise it is the place where the adopted family of God gather in his love for celebration and experience of the phenomenal familial love of the Father. God bless you.